North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. After the political thaw, an historic match on the ice. A unified Korea, for now at least, via women's ice hockey. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. Today, Victor and I are joined by Seth Berkman, who's a contributing editor at The New York Times. Seth is the author of a new book called A Team of Their Own, which tells the story of the unified Korean women's hockey team from the 2018 Olympic Games in Pyeongchang. In this episode of The Impossible State, we'll ask Seth about his experiences reporting on this very unique hockey team and what it meant for both North and South Korea. Seth, tell us, what made you decide to do a book on this subject? Your book's called A Team of Their Own. What made you decide to do a subject on the unification team, the first ever United Korean Olympic women's hockey team? I began following the team for a story I was writing for the New York Times. This was late 2016, early 2017 when I began reporting for it. And I first met the South Korean team in early 2017. They were in Minnesota, essentially holding a training camp there. And so I had talked to some of the players on the team before that via phone or email, but it was the first time in person meeting them. And so being around the team for that weekend was just really illuminating. Um, I, I enjoyed my time around them, but also getting to learn about their stories. And obviously there was a little bit of a personal connection there for me to being born in South Korea and being able to follow the Korean national team, which would be playing in the Olympics. Um, I did not know at the time back then that it would be a book, but I did have this feeling that you know, there was definitely a lot more there, more than what could be encapsulated in a normal story. So a feature length story in the Times is maybe like 1200 words. And, you know, at the time, I don't think I was thinking book per se, but maybe there would be follow up stories to do after that. After first meeting the team in January 2017, just, you know, their stories and a lot about them just stuck with me. And so I kept up with a lot of players and still talked to them throughout the spring and summer and was keeping track of how they were doing. And then it just kind of became like the summer of 2017. That's when I started to think maybe there's a book to be written there. Did the story get more exciting when you found out that the team was going to be North Korean as well? I don't know if exciting is the right word. Um, it definitely complicated things. So when that happens, it's January 2018. So it's a year later from when I first met them. And the team was actually back in Minnesota in January 2018. They were doing their final training before the Olympics. And I was trailing them around for a couple weeks in early January. And so I was around the team and... So Kim Jong-un gave his New Year New Year's Day speech on January 1st, where he first brought up this idea of having North Korean players participate in the Olympics. And women's hockey had always been kind of considered the prime candidate if anything like this was going to happen. And so the players knew that it was a possibility. So after Kim Jong-un's speech, I, I'm with them and they're sitting at the lunch table and some players are mumbling about it or, you know, gauging other people's opinions on if it will really happen. Um, but one thing that was quite interesting was at this point, it, it's like three, four weeks before the Olympics start. So the team is 
dead set focused on the Olympic Games and training and trying to do their best. It's the final mile before they reach the finish line of getting to the Olympics. And so they're focused on just that one singular goal. So you have the possibility of a merger with the North Koreans in the periphery, but it's not dead center, kind of number one priority focus of the team. They're still focused on the Olympics. And so when I left the team and came back home when they were going back to Korea, at that point, I didn't think that the unified team was going to happen, even though the rumors kept getting, you know, louder and louder. And then I remember I had just gotten back to New York and it was a Saturday night, I believe, and just casually I was online checking the news and there it was you know across the homepage of the new york times this breaking news alert that uh, north korean athletes were going to be participating in the olympics most likely in women's hockey and my i remember reading that and my range of emotions went from obviously i felt very empathetic towards the south korean players and coaches who i had gotten to know very well by that point but also then trying to grasp just the magnitude of what this meant and how all of a sudden everybody was going to be paying attention to this team. Um, they were no longer this unknown group of 24 players from South Korea who played women's hockey. They were now going to get worldwide media attention and ever the focus would be on them when the Olympic Games started. And so then I started to think of a lot of questions. By that time, I am, you know, deep in the book writing process, how am I going to incorporate this into the story I've been trying to tell? How am I going to get access to the North Korean players? And so it was a mix of um, feeling, you know, empathetic towards the South Korean players on the team, but also not knowing what I was going to do personally, professionally, in terms of weaving that narrative now into this book that I had been writing, which up to that point was solely focused on the South Korean players. I can imagine for the South Korean players, this is quite a distraction because they had their hands full anyway, just trying to prepare for the Olympics and playing against, you know, the, the American women, the Swedish women, the Norwegian women, et cetera, you know, the great powers in women's hockey, they're going to have to play. And now they've got to bring, you know, with just a couple of weeks before the actual competition starts, they have a bunch of new teammates and the new teammates are from North Korea. I have to say for the podcast, I love this book. Yeah. This is a great book. Congratulate Seth on it. Uh, really enjoyable. The second thing is it really is something that this idea of a unified team competing in many ways, there, I mean, there was a couple of other examples of it, but this was a real first. I mean, and especially on the Olympic stage because the problem had been in the past that in all these inter-Korean efforts at using sports to promote reconciliation and to create, uh, you know, create sort of these moments of peace to try to reduce tensions, they had always come up against the same problem, which was from a South Korean perspective, a United team should be based on merit, like best players from both teams, you know, come together. And from the North Korean perspective, it had always been the notion of a quota, yeah. regardless of the quality of the play. And so I remember in the past, even the most, even folks that I knew from the unification ministry in South Korea that were pro-engagement with North Korea, when it came to the idea of a joint team and that it was going to be a quota system, even these like sunshine policy people were like, no, can't happen that way, right? So they, they managed to overcome that with this particular team. And then, of course, on the biggest stage ever, right? Ever. And so the third thing I want to say is what I really liked about that particular aspect that you were just talking about, Andrew, is that... When you read Seth's book, in the beginning, it's all about how South Korean women's hockey 
is it's lower than unknown, right? Right, right. <laughs> in right. South Korea. I mean, it is like he described, it's like they get the worst equipment. Like they're it's not, not the Canadian women. No, it's not the Canadian women. Yeah. They're like not wearing the right size skates and like it's like the it's less than unknown. Yeah. And then to go for, like within a period of, I don't know what it is, like in 16 months to go from that to like the main focus of the entire Winter Olympics, it's really something. And Seth, you were there to see all this firsthand. Right, yeah. Tell us what it was like. It, it was really interesting. And so I was born in South Korea and then adopted when I was about three months old. So a majority of my life, I grew up in the States in the New York, New Jersey area. And so the Winter Olympics were the first time I was going back to Korea. And I arrived February 1st, the game start uh, February 10th. And I remember talking to people before, you know, other adoptees or just Korean Americans, and they would tell me about their first time back to Korea. And a lot of them mentioned how there was almost like this moment of epiphany when, you know, they were flying over the mountains near Seoul and or when they were finally stepping outside onto South Korean soil and just, you know, this this feeling kind of crashed over them. I was so occupied and so focused now on this whole North Korean aspect to the story that that was my real main focus. I was so consumed by that that I didn't have, I almost didn't have time to like breathe in South Korea. There were a few moments I remember where I did have a moment to myself and walking around Seoul and it's like, oh wow, I am actually now here in South Korea. But, you know, everything was, 99% of my energy was focused towards the team and the book. One of the problems that I encountered was I didn't have a media credential for the Olympics. To get a media credential for the Olympic Games, if anyone ever wants to do it, you have to apply like two and a half, three yeah. years in advance. And so I only started writing this book a year before, so it was too late. I was able to secure tickets for all the women's hockey games, which was a bit harder than I imagined just because uh, once the Unify team happened, everybody in Korea was buying up tickets to the women's hockey games. They became sold out, and so I had to navigate like secondhand markets that were Korean websites and stuff. But luckily it all worked out. But I didn't know how I would get access at all to the North Korean players still. Um, it turned out that North Korean players weren't, weren't made available to the media really at all. There was one time when I remember um, a press conference, which I was able to attend five games before the Olympics started. Uh, the unified team had an exhibition game in Incheon. Uh, against Sweden and so it was sold out arena and there were hundreds of media from around the world there it was the first time the unified team was going to be taking the ice together and after the game they had a big press conference and so they brought out the North Korean coach and one of the North Korean players and they both just gave very short prepared statements and then they were whisked off stage basically and taken back to their quarters and so that was the only time I was really around nor members of the North Korean delegation in terms of being in the media um, eventually though I was able to get a lot of feedback and a lot of the anecdotes in the book from the South Korean players telling me what it was like and um, I remember early on 
the South Korean players were told by Olympic officials, and I think even some of the officials in the Korea Ice Hockey Association, which is their governing body, to you know not say anything and not talk to media. And it was it was actually interesting. The couple of players I was like texting with when I was in Korea and trying to meet up with them, and they didn't have to like sneak out, but it was hard, really hard for them to get any kind of time. And so a couple of players like we met in these. Coffee shops in in Gangneung where the ice hockey events were taking place at the Olympics, and it was like, okay, I have forty minutes, I can meet you then. And so it was interesting to talk to them during those periods, and they would just tell me everything that was going on. And I I know early on for them, it was it was really hard. Um, the the media attention was really it took a lot of them back. Um, I think a lot of them maybe were uncomfortable with the big spotlight on them, but it was also just, you know, I think at that point, a lot of the players didn't know what they were supposed to represent or what their role was. Um, and so they're, they're trying to forge relationships with the North Korean players, which is really hard, but they really still want to perform well in the Olympics. And that makes it harder with the North Korean aspect, just because the North Korean players weren't of equal skill level. So once they were added to the team, that complicated things a lot when it came to actual performance on the ice. And then when you throw in the political aspect, a lot of people are looking at them to kind of represent this, basically represent this idea of unification that no one has been able to achieve in over in about seven decades. And now all of a sudden, these 24 young women who maybe had no opinions or thoughts or feelings on the topic are being thrust into the spotlight. And so it was a lot for them to handle at that moment. And, um, it, it was, it was, um, I, I give credit in a way to the way they handled it. Um, no one really, I think went off like blabbering to the press or voicing their displeasure. A lot of them were pretty angry at it at the whole idea and concept, but they were able to maintain their composure in that regard. Overall, it was just really surreal, I guess is a good way to put it. At that ex exhibition game in Incheon that I was talking about, um, it was a sold-out crowd. I think the arena maybe seats like four or 5,000 people, and you could tell that maybe 90% of the crowd had never seen a hockey game before or maybe didn't even know what hockey was. But, you know, there were so many people there with unification banners and you had the cheering squads and people, you know, cheering all these messages saying we are one and different messages of peace. And so to see that within a sporting environment um, it is really unique. You know, the irony of, of what Seth describes is that, you know, these women were... They were sort of represented for the en entire country and the world, the embodiment of this inter-Korean reconciliation, right? This goal of unification eventually. And yet at the same time, the South Koreans on the team were at best on the margins of society. You could hardly, con just by the fact that there were South Korean women playing hockey, right. they were already not considered mainstream. Sure. It's not like uh, like baseball, like baseball stars or something. And then on top of that, you have these imports from Canada and from the United States. Who are playing on the team. Who are playing on the team, but then, you know, they're playing for their college, and all of a sudden they get called to play. Like half of them or maybe more, right, Seth, don't speak Korean. 
and then some of them are like Seth, they're adoptees and they've never been to Korea before. And yet yeah. now all of a sudden they're supposed to be representing, right? All this- Not just this, South like, Korea, and representing all no, of Korea. All of Korea, like the most, the most Korean thing you could possibly represent, yeah. unification. They're being asked to do that. And then you add in these North Korean players who certainly don't know any of the politics surrounding this. First off, the second observation is, it's interesting because, you know, I've written, as you know, I've written about the topic and I've written sure. about it from the perspective of governments who look at sport through the prism of politics and diplomacy, right? And then what's great about this book is that it's really the other side, right? Because it shows you, you know, all of a sudden these suits walk in, you know, two weeks before the Olympics and say, we're adding eight North Koreans to your team, Deal with it, right? This for is the how good it's of the, be. this is how it's going to be for the good of the country, right? And and so that that is a side, you know. It's it's sort of like when Carter decided to boycott the Moscow games. Absolutely, and everybody knew why the United States government wanted to do that, but no one listened to the players from the player side about how, you know, you know why should we be penalized for something like this? Right. So, and I'll never forget my hero Clay Britt, backstroker from Rockville, Maryland, who was supposed to win. He was the world record holder in 100 and 200 back, couldn't compete, you know, for the 1980, yeah, yeah. 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 and uh, that was a big deal. So whether whether Seth intended it or not, I mean, everybody saw the the public narrative of, you know, unified team and the unification flag and sold out arenas and everything. But from the player's perspective, it was a huge, huge wrench in the system. But, But he writes about how they managed to deal with it, right? And in the end, they formed these friendships. So it's really some story. It's an incredible story. Seth, thanks for joining us today. We highly recommend the book and love to have you back. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I'd love to talk any time you'll have me. So appreciate the interest and all your support. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State. 